Welcome back to the Illinois Agronomy Update. I'm your host, Troy Kazire, here at Hertz Farm Management in Geneseo, Illinois. We've got a, an excellent guest with us today. Been been looking forward to this. A uh, good friend of mine, Lance Tarchioni, who is a technical agronomist with DeKalb and Asgro here in Illinois. Lance, good to talk to you again, and thanks for joining us. Sure is. Great to be back with you, Troy, and uh, always uh, enjoy talking with you about uh, what's going on in the uh, world of agronomy. All right. Well, hey, before we get started here, why don't you take a few minutes and just tell us, uh, kind of remind us what it is a technical agronomist does there with the Calb, and 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 kind of outline your geography that that you cover. Yeah. So so the the technical agronomist role uh, that we have is is designed to be a, a training role, a product support role, a consultant type role so i work with our customers our dealers and and four sales reps in the geography that i cover which would be uh roughly nine counties in west central illinois going from uh essentially henderson county uh over to the illinois river uh, and then crossing the illinois river into taswell logan and mason county and then coming back across the river, uh, back over uh, north north of Quincy, uh, picking up uh, Fulton, McDonough, Hancock County. So uh, that's kind of the geography that I work in. And, and in that area, uh, I support our dealers, um, the four sales reps and uh, customers that are using Asgro and DeKalb Seed. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for joining us. And what we wanted to do today, today was kind of I guess give a harvest update uh, for your region, and, and like you said, we'll kind of call that West Central Illinois. So um, let's uh, let's go ahead and start with corn, and, and let's just talk about what you're seeing out there, and and uh, what are some of the things that are sort of raising raising flags and catching your attention. Yeah, it, uh, I, I think a lot of producers in, in my part of the state, in particular, I, I would I would actually say the middle of my territory is 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 quite possibly some of the lowest yielding corn in the state of Illinois, which is which is not common for uh, for our part of the world. We're we're used to having some of the best corn in the state of Illinois, but as you go from the center of my territory, if you go any direction, north, east, west, or south. Uh, you will get into better corn. So, so when some of our producers uh, ventured out uh, far earlier than they were expecting to be harvesting, you know, in, in the middle of the summer, people were talking about a possibly late harvest. And uh, what some people thought would be a late harvest uh, turned into a record early harvest when uh, when the crop died prematurely in some cases, uh, did not reach black layer, uh, lost a lot of yield potential by not finishing strongly. And, and so we got an earlier start to harvest than we were expecting and and, disapp- and found disappointment when a lot of people got into the fields and uh, fields that had been yield checking at uh, 240, 250, 260 and more uh, in July and August were, you know, ringing the bell, sometimes, you know, sub 200 bushel uh, yield. So there was a, a huge discrepancy that some people were finding between what they thought they had and, and what they ended up with. And, and so that 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 took some um really took some adjusting and and it was certainly a shock to people that uh not everybody had really really good corn and and in some cases not only was it disappointing 
it, it was literally bad uh, in some in some of the severe cases. So so there was quite a quite a shock there. Uh, people were not expecting that. And, and once we've kind of gotten over that shock and understand a little better what what factors are, are going into that. Now we're seeing the extreme variability that comes with some of the challenges that we've had. And uh, there is 300 bushel corn uh, in the state. And there's corn that didn't make three digits uh, in the state. So there's, um, you know, a huge range in yield. Uh, I would say more than normal, not just across the field, but across the farming operation from one field to the next. I, I've had multiple producers indicate to me that the same hybrid, many times managed the same way, was both their worst and their best hybrid on on their operation this year just depending on what field it was in and there's a lot of you know a lot of environmental factors a lot of disease factors a lot of management factors a lot of um just a lot of things going into determining uh how how good a field ended up being but basically anything that died prematurely is is at a pretty significant disadvantage to anything that didn't die prematurely uh, some of the fields that stayed green longer still died prematurely. They were only greener because they were either planted later or they were a fuller season hybrid. They too ended up dying before black layer. And so in, in some cases, corn that early on looked like it was going to be a lot better wasn't. Uh, in other cases, corn that looked like it was going to be better was. And and what is really you know probably primarily driving uh, how good or bad is your corn this year is how close did you get to black layer before it died? Yeah. So let's talk about some of those factors. And I know, you know, there's always a danger of oversimplifying things, but a lot of the things I think that we're going to talk about here probably were impacted or, or maybe really boiled down to uh, whether or not you were in one of those bands that just got those uh, just insane levels of rainfall there in in june and in some cases july uh I, I think that's probably the case isn't it yeah that that's definitely a factor in some of the disease issues that we're seeing some of the root health issues some of the crown rots root rots things that i think are are big factors that are being overlooked frankly in in some cases because of all the attention that tar spot is it it sucks all the oxygen out of the room and and that is the topic of conversation that everybody wants to talk about so some of these root issues and root health problems are um, probably getting, um, you know, kind of mixed up or or mixed in with uh, the impact that uh, that tar spot is having. If you were in an area where you maybe didn't get 15 inches of rain in a month. Um, but if you had six or eight inches of rain in a month, which is more than normal, but not, you know, uh, atrociously excessive, um, but it was cold. Uh, we had several freeze and frost events after crops were in the ground. Um, I think a lot of people kind of forget how cold, um, April and the first part of May were, and, and we just had a lot of, of cold, wet soil conditions early. Uh, some people were, were, were drier than others earlier, and the drier you were early, generally speaking, I would say the better the crop is. 
um, you know, areas that received excessive amounts of rainfall at any time during the growing season, uh, that crop typically is not as good as areas that were more moderate in their rainfall. Uh, when, when you get into July and August, it's it's hard to get too much rain for corn. But in May and June, it's easy to get too much rain for, for crops. And we had areas that, you know, w- were really worried about drought conditions because they were missing rains. And in many cases, they're raising better crops than people who had plentiful rain, um, pl- plentiful to the point it was a problem. And um, if we could have kind of distributed that a little, uh, a little more uniformly, then everybody would have been in better, better shape. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some of these other diseases. Like you said, tar spot is probably getting the lion's share of the attention. And, and that really, uh, one of the reasons for that is probably because it, it kind of caught that region off guard. We tend to think of tar spot as, a, as more of a northern Illinois problem. Um, right. I don't think guys were really expecting it to be an issue down there. So um, that's really mm-hmm. kind of getting maybe more attention than, than uh, I, I shouldn't say than it deserves. But, but there, there's a lot of other factors as well. Yeah, and, you know, Northern Illinois' you know, wake-up year for tar spot was 2018. Yeah. And, and so since 2018, Northern Illinois has known what it's like to have a bad tar spot year. Uh, the only thing Central Illinois knew about bad tar spot was what they heard coming out of Northern Illinois in 2018. And so, you know, 2021 turned out turn to have a bad tar spot year and, and and not just central illinois it's moved you know probably at least down to interstate 70 if not further than that it's uh, it's across a lot of indiana up into michigan even into pennsylvania new york uh moving up moved up into wisconsin there's been reports in iowa um so really the whole great lakes corn growing region is being impacted to one degree or another by tar spots so yeah it's uh it's it's not not just a northern illinois problem anymore and and this year shows a a pretty large corn production region that the pathogen is here the susceptible host is here the only thing we're missing is the environment and and this year we had the perfect environment for tar spot to be a a major 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 issue um you know northern illinois kind of went through this phase in 2018 where it looked like oh my gosh are we going to be able to raise corn again and then in 19 and 20 they really didn't have a lot of tar spot because the weather environment wasn't quite as perfect for it um, and in some places in 21, um, they haven't had as heavy a pressure as, as other places have. So depends a lot on, you know, humidity, temperature, you know, sunlight, other, other factors, ty- timing of planting and timing of the growth stage of the crop relative to when the disease wanted to get ramped up and get going. So lots of, lots of things that, that factor into determining whether you're going to have a lot of tar spot or not. But, um, yeah, there's, there, there's more people experiencing bad tar spot this year than than ever before and and a lot more people are are aware of you know how damaging it can be now uh i I do think that there's other factors in addition to tar spot that are if tar spot was the only problem we had we'd have better corn than what we have this year yeah um but we we've also got a lot of southern rust which can be a very damaging disease in its own right and like tar spot comes in late has the potential to damage the crop late. Um, I've seen more anthracnose stalk rot than I've seen in years. 
Uh, crown rot is, is as bad as I've ever seen it. I'm finding red root rot easier than the normal. So the, the root health is, is not good. Uh, the foliar health is not good. And, and when you combine all that disease with, a, uh, with some hot nights and some little bit dry weather and some just kind of normal stresses as that crop's going through grain fill, you know, it's not surprising that we kind of crashed and burned in, in some cases in some cornfields where that plant was under far more stress than we realized it was. And, uh, and there just wasn't much it could do about it, you know, that late in the season other than cannibalize itself as completely as it was capable of. And, and then at some point it just can't handle that stress and that load anymore and, and, and just died. And, and some of these fields that died extremely early where we're seeing uh, huge yield, you know, impacts from premature death. Uh, I'm going to say that crop probably died at about quarter milk. So, so at about the stage of growth that you could should have been chopping silage, that, that's about when that plant died. And, and there's a lot of dry matter accumulation that goes on in the kernel after that point. So, so those kernels didn't look too bad when they were wet at, you know, 40 some percent moisture. But by the time they dried down to, you know, 12%, which is what some of them are at now, uh, you can see how small and shriveled and shallow those kernels are. Uh, just very, very little kernel weight. And, and instead of, you know, we had people being pretty optimistic using 76 and 80,000 for, uh, for kernels to make a bushel in their, in their yield calculation formula. Um, you know, if, if you plug in about 110,000 instead of 76 or 80, that's probably going to get you a lot closer to the yield that you actually ended up with in some of those fields. Yeah, and of course, when we start talking about, you know, you mentioned cannibalization, uh, that plant cannibalizes itself, it died early, that that obviously leads to, to early decay, uh, stock quality really starts to deteriorate. Now we've got a situation where, you know, it's not only yield impact, but but sometimes we've got corn on the ground, right, that we're dealing with at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've had calls, you know, we, we've been fighting down corn really either either due to winds or due to cannibalization and poor stock quality or both since before harvest started. So, I mean, we've, we've had down corn all over the place for a long time. Uh, there, there's more down every week. Uh, every time we get a, a little bit of wind, there's more down corn. Uh, a lot of this stuff is, is extremely, extremely weak from a stock quality standpoint. There's, I mean, it's to the point where it can barely hold itself up, let, let alone withstand any sort of, uh, in any sort of weather event. So yeah, the, the stock quality is probably the worst I've seen in 20 years. And, um, you know, it's going to be one of those years where, uh, getting that crop out of the field just as fast as possible, um, you know, if you can find a reel, uh, you're probably going to want one. Uh, I've heard from producers that, that it's near, near impossible to buy one currently. And a lot of them are on back order and guys are rummaging around the barn to see if they can find the one they had on 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have upgraded corn heads, uh, since then and gotten bigger since then. So your, you know, your old six row won't work very good on your 12 row head. Yeah. And, and so it, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of challenges with down corn and, and growers are commenting to me that the, you know, everybody refers to phantom yield loss and you and I have probably had this conversation before and I, and I don't dispute that phantom 
loss is, is a real thing. But the vast majority of yield loss we see when that field yields less at 15% than it was at 25 is not phantom yield loss. It's it's m- more harvest loss. And, you know, we've just got more ears on the ground. We've got more head shelling. We've got more kernels that are going out the back of the combine. Uh, you, you just leave a lot more grain in the field and, and growers are commenting to me, gosh, the, the phantom yield loss seems horrible this year. Well, I, you know, the more deteriorated that crop gets, the, the more ears drop off the plant, the more stalks that, you know, I know watching my own, you know, I, I don't, I've got a reel on, but I don't have roller cones on the, on the end of the head. Well, when, when that, you know, stalks laying over the edge about half the time it pulls it in and about half the time it falls out. And, you know, when it falls out, unless you get really lucky and you, you happen to pick it up off the ground going back the other way, uh, you know, that ear is still laying in the field. So our, our harvest losses are going up, um, you know, a little, little worried about what that's going to fall into your corn next year, which uh, is something that we already struggle with enough. Uh, and, and I'm seeing some of these fields are getting quite green already. So with the early harvest and and maybe more harvest loss than normal, I, I think there'll be some fields that you know, that, uh, that that knee high volunteer corn is uh, is awfully hard to look at uh, when you drive past those fields in the in the fall. So I, I do uh, I, I do think we'll see a might be a, maybe you can consider that a cover crop uh, these days and and um, and go with go with that. So, you know, with, with disease, like you said, tar spot, southern rust, um, you know, anthracnose and crown rot and, and so on, um, really, see, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing all over, and I think particularly in your area, um, fungicide was a, was a huge player this year. Yeah, I, and, I, and I don't know that, you know, I don't know that the area with the worst corn it, it's probably responding more to fungicide than areas with better corn, I would say. So that's probably a fair statement. But the fungicide responses are are off the charts huge this year, more more than we've ever seen before. Uh, you know, you and I have worked together on fungicide trials in the past, and you know, we, you know, we we both believe in the practice. And it's it's always frustrating when you do trials and you don't see much of a response, and you 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 expected to, but you don't sometimes. And man, this year, um, you know, I've I've never seen prior to this year uh, hundred bushel yield increases from aggressive use of fungicides. And when I say aggressive use, that would mean more than one application. But but I have seen that this year. And, you know, 40 and 50 plus bushel yield increases from fungicide usage are very common, um, you know, in, in areas where, you know, unsprayed fields are, are making 140 to 160 in some cases, you know, sprayed fields are, are, are making 200. Uh, you get into the better areas, uh, the unsprayed fields are 2, 220 and the sprayed stuff's 260, 270. Um, so just, just crazy big differences. Uh, we're seeing, um, you know, overlap areas and fields and maybe, a a field edge where you and your neighbor, you know, two cornfields butted up against each other and you both sprayed fungicide and, and, and maybe each got a little bit of overlap drift on each other from those applications that, that, that doubled up strip right there on the boundary of those two fields, you know, guys are seeing 300 plus on the yield monitor when they go through that and then they get on out in the field and it's, you know, 230 or 240. 
and um and so just those the the rate um differences we're seeing are are more than we've ever seen before the advantages to fungicide that we're seeing are more than we've ever seen before and, and we're seeing you know large advantages to multiple applications which which in a lot of years you you it, it, it's hard sometimes to justify those multiple applications but boy, this year, um, you know, I, I really think it would have been, it would have been really, really difficult to spend too much money on fungicide in in 21 with the the, the type of response that we're seeing. So we're not necessarily going to going to anticipate, you know, every year from here on out is going to be like this. And I don't think this is the new norm. But we we have seen when you've got the factors that we're dealing with in 21, you know, we have seen how much of a reward there is from being very aggressive with fungicide use. And, and I think a lot of producers are going to take note of that. And, you know, they, they may not start doing that as kind of a standard practice, but, but the next time we're in a situation like we found ourselves in this year, I think there'll be a, a, a lot more sequential applications of fungicide being, being made. And I do think some of, you know, some of our more aggressive producers We'll, we'll probably plan on sequential applications and and whether that's a v5 followed by a vt or uh, a vt followed by an r3 um you know there's different schools of thought kind of depends on what diseases you're going after if, if crown rot's a factor for you i think that v5 is critical uh the vt is critical no matter what um, and, and then in the case of tar spot and Southern rust that can come in so late and, and still be infecting heavily later in the grain fill, um, something later than that typical tassel time application, um, may be necessary as, as well. So, so you could make a case for V5, you could make a case for VT to R1, and you could make a case for say maybe R3. Um, you know, that, that would be a three shot program. Um, you know, not, not many producers are going to be excited about spraying fungicide three times. That's a, that's a huge expense. Now it, it would have given you about a five to one return on that investment in 21. But you know, you, if, if you, if in a normal year you spray fungicide three times and you gain 15 bushel, um, that's, th that's not terribly exciting. But, you know, a year, a year like this, when we got so many diseases and they're so severe, and there's so many other factors going on, um, you know, it, it just kind of a kind of a perfect storm to to make fungicide. Just, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to look at the fields that didn't get sprayed. It's hard to talk to the producers that chose not to spray um, because the, the, there's no hiding from the fact that that, that was a, um, a, a big hit. Um, to make that decision this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we start recording here, you mentioned uh, uh, you mentioned you'd be seeing some differences with soil type. Of course, we always see differences with soil types, but uh, you said some of that was really showing up big this year. What what are you seeing there? Um, did it kind of boil down to drainage, or or what are you seeing with soil type? Uh, I think um, somewhat organic matter, also drainage. I, I think a lot of our crown rot pathogens and 
you know, I, I, I think about a disease like, like sudden death syndrome in, so, in soybeans, which is, as you know, is a fusarium as well. And there's, there's a lot of fusariums that are involved in crown rotten corn, different, you know, different fusariums, but, but similar species, you know, SDS is a, is a black soil disease. We just don't see a lot of sudden death in light timber soil. Um, I, I think crown rot and corn is a heavy black soil disease as well. I think that that high organic matter soil, that heavy productive, I mean, the, 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 the kind of soil you want basically is the kind of soil that, that favors those pathogens. Now, whether it's the organic matter or it's just the fact that those soils typically have more moisture or those soils tend to be more poorly drained. Um, you know, producers with, with pattern tiled fields in some cases are not seeing the advantage to pattern tile that, that they may be expected to. And, and I think we were so wet at times, e even a good pattern tiled field was still too wet and it was still wet enough and cold enough to get crown rock going. And, and so in, in some cases, you know, a, a well tiled field hasn't even been ringing the bell um, the, the, the way people would, would like still, still better than the non-tiled fields for sure. But, um, you know, uh, pattern tile did not eliminate crown rot. It, it might've reduced it, but it certainly didn't eliminate it. So, uh, I've seen some, some of the healthiest corn I've looked at late season has been on, uh, on rolling timber soil and, and the water could get off of those fields. The soil type I think is just not as good a habitat I'll say for some of those pathogens. And, and, and I've seen some amazingly good corn on ground that typically isn't as good. And then you get on the flat black, the really good stuff, especially to your point, places that had excessive amounts of rain, that that's where the worst crop is. And, and so it's, it's really frustrating for, for producers. Um, you know, the, the, the guy that farms nothing but timber soil, uh, he, he might enjoy this year a little bit because the because the black ground guy is kind of taking it in the shorts and and the, and this is a good timber soil year in some cases um, but n normally you know the ground that's the best in some cases has actually been the worst and, and then you get into other areas it's it's just the opposite because the disease spectrum was different so you get over um, a little further east into Peoria County I was talking to a dealer uh, today and and, and they're noticing the, the, the lighter hillsides, the light areas are, are just falling out of bed and the, and the flat black parts of the field are, are really good. Well, you know, they don't have as much crown rot uh, pressure, weren't as much too wet earlier, um, you know, have a little better root health. And, and so what they're seeing is just more of a, of a, a more stress from a, from a drought standpoint showing up. So we're, we're seeing, you know, dramatic differences in soil type, but sometimes the good soil is better. And sometimes the good soil is worse, kind of depending on what, what your issue is. Yeah. And I would say up in our area, you know, we didn't have the disease uh, that you guys had down there and, and it, it's been a somewhat different situation up here, but we definitely have been seeing that as well. Uh, to, to your point about the rolling fields, uh, those fields that were able to drain, you know, surface drain uh, more quickly, uh, we're, we're definitely seeing some yield advantages uh, in those. Yeah. Fields. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you've, if, if you farm ground with ditches, that's going to be a lot better than ground with ponds in yeah. a lot of cases this year. Uh, so you, you, you touched on sudden death and, and uh, a couple of, so let's, let's segue into soybeans. What's, uh, what do you say? I know you you said in your area not a lot of beans have been taken out of the field yet, but but uh, what are you hearing up? What are you hearing down there? 
Well, uh, so- soybeans are kind of going to end up being maybe the pleasant surprise that comes out of this harvest. The cor- corn, as I mentioned when we started talking, was a little bit of a shock and a disappointment to people versus expectations. So far, based on what soybeans have been harvested, soybeans are, are greatly exceeding um, a lot of people's expectations, certainly mine. I, I was kind of pessimistic on the on the potential of this soybean crop. I, I was not finding... Uh, a lot of what I call high pod counts. I was not finding a lot of four bean pods. We yep. had weeks during the growing season when soybeans were yellow and stunted and nodules were suffocating and dying and soybeans don't like wet feed. And, and there was just, we had all the cloudy, hazy days with poor poor sunlight conditions. And man, every, everywhere I turned, there was some reason to be pessimistic on what soybeans were going to do. However, um, they didn't die early. Um, they, they lived a full life and, and they were able to, I think, pack on a lot of additional yield later in the, in the growing season. And, and in spite of the fact that they had a lot of challenges, you know, the soybean crop is finishing strong, uh, versus the corn crop that, that, um, you know, kind of crashed and burned and, and stumbled across the finish line versus soybeans that, you know, producers have commented to me that, uh, it, it seems like soybeans are coming off late this year. It seems like they're living longer. It seems like they're staying green longer. Whether that's actually true or it's just that the corn's a month ahead of where it should be that makes the soybeans look later, yeah. I, I'm not sure. But but soybeans definitely did not die early. All right. Well, we lost Lance there for just a second, but we got him back now. So, Lance, you were uh, when we lost you there, you were talking about how uh, – you know, corn obviously had, we talked a lot about how it had died early, but, but, uh, from soybeans for the most part didn't, they, they really carried through, uh, to, to the end of the growing season here. Right. Yeah. I think it's a good, a good illustration of, of, you know, the, the benefit of finishing strong, the benefit of finishing healthy, uh, the benefit of being able to pack as much yield into that plant as possible. Uh, we're just not seeing a lot of premature death in soybeans. There's a, there's a lot of soybeans with green stems and still got some green leaves hanging on them. We're getting some complaints from guys about tough cutting soybeans in some And generally, there's exceptions to this rule, but generally, um, you know, that's an indication that soybeans are, are going to be pretty good. So soy, early soybean yields have been have been very good. Now, a lot of the beans that have been cut have been some of the first planted beans fairly typical that the early planted beans are the best uh it'll be interesting to see how much of a benefit we see to early planting this year april was so cold and and the early planted soybeans got us off to such a slow start in in some cases beans that were planted four and five weeks later were not very far behind uh as far as canopy development goes in early summer and and so you and i've had this conversation before that if you if you plant a bean early uh and it comes up on the same day as a bean that you plant a month later you know will there be a benefit to that early planted bean and and typically i i would say no if if you if they don't get off to a head start um they're not going to be better just because they've been in the ground longer um but you know we've had some um you know some of the early soybeans harvested have have been very good um, been, you know, reports of, you know, there's wide range of yields. I've, you know, heard beans in the, you know, 
I've heard of some beans making 60 ish and all the way up into the eighties and, you know, lots of, lots of 70 plus bushel beans, uh, so far from some of the early, early yield reports. So I think soybeans could end up being, um, the pleasant surprise that hopefully offsets the disappointment that uh, some people are experiencing in their corn crop. Yeah, and I agree. And I'm, and I agree with you too, that I, you know, I was, I was not, uh, I was not very optimistic about, about what I was seeing earlier on with soybeans. Uh, seemed like we had some long internodes, like you said, not a lot of pods and, and, uh, mm-hmm. really, really pleasantly surprised with the yields we're hearing up here. Same thing as, is what you've been saying in the seventies, very common and, and in some cases on higher. Um, mm-hmm. I have not heard any, uh, comparisons with fungicide and insecticide yet. Have, have you been hearing anything on fungicide and beans? Uh, to, to be honest with you, no, I haven't. And, and I think we'll, you know, we, we could see a, dr- a drastically different, uh, response in, in soybeans this year. We had a, last year was a huge year for, for fungicide, insecticide and soybeans. Um, I don't know if this year will be as good as last year was. I, I don't anticipate seeing the dramatic differences that we're seeing in, in corn, um, you know, the soybean crop is far healthier than the corn crop. It, yeah. it needed far less help to survive the summer than the corn crop did. And, and so I, you know, I, I hope we see some nice responses. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that the insecticide fungicide response in soybeans might, might be more typical for, for what we see in a, in a normal year. So I, I haven't really seen any plots on that yet. And, and I haven't even, you know, I'm not sure guys have got enough soybean harvest done to, to even notice yet, you know, how are the unsprayed fields comparing to the sprayed fields. But, uh, so I think more, to, more to come on that. I, you know, I would anticipate we see a response because we typically do, but I, uh, you know, if, if the corn response is four times what it normally is, I, I don't expect to see a four times normal response in, in soybeans. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see, though. Um, looking looking forward to that, and mm-hmm. we'll just see how things unfold. Um, anything else on your mind at this point, Lance? Um, be be a be a good year with the early harvest uh, to you know be prepared to address winter annuals and rounds and and those sort of things. And going to be a lot of conversation through the winter of you know, what, what herbicide programs are, are we going to be doing next year? There's probably going to be some continued tweaks in that. There'll be, you know, continued supply challenges on, on some products that could influence some people's decisions. And, um, you know, I already know people are, are planning on trying to conserve glyphosate through this, uh, through this fall burndown season. So I, I, I may use a non-glyphosate fall burndown, which for, for an old Monsanto guy, that's hard to, uh, that's hard to imagine. Uh, using a non-glyphosate fall burndown, but um, but we we do have uh, we we do have options that will enable us uh, not to need to use glyphosate in the fall, and um, with uh, with some of the logistical challenges that exist, we uh, we might we we, we might want to save that for next spring and summer. So uh, I would say um, you know take take a look at what what options are available to you for fall burndown and. And uh, recognize that when you harvest as early as we're harvesting this year, if, if we have any sort of good growing conditions being warm and moist uh, for the remainder of the fall, 
um, the winter annuals are going to flourish out there. So I think there's some fields that could get really, really, really green yet this fall. And if we don't kill those winter annuals this fall, that means they're going to be really, really green early next spring and, and, and then maybe causing some issues. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. And, and to your point about uh, availability, you know, we are, matter of fact, our, the, the last episode we talked with Krista Swanson at University of Illinois about, among other things, supply chain issues, uh, not only with chemistry, but with fertilizer and, and other things. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. It, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I, I don't think there is, I mean, I'm not, I don't think there's an industry or a, I don't think there's anything that has escaped supply chain issues. So, I mean, it's yeah. not just agriculture. It's not just fertilizer. It's not just chemistry. It's, yep. I mean, it, it is the, the tentacles of, of these supply chain issues are just unbelievable. And, and, and I think a lot of us, I, I was in this camp. I mean, last summer when we were dealing with things, I was looking forward to next year thinking, well, gosh, we got a, you know, we got a year to catch <laughs> up and we got a year to fix all this stuff. So next summer will be okay. Right. Well, yeah. no, uh, I think next summer might be worse than this summer was. Yeah. So it, it's, it's not, I don't know how long it's going to take us to catch up but i mean we've got domestic issues we've got you know issues in other countries that are influencing things from an importation standpoint and um you know then we've had uh, you know hurricanes and weather events impacting production facilities and um so it's it, it's going to take some time to work ourselves out of uh, of these this situation we're in and um, so I, I think those sort of situations are going to, you know, be around for a while and, and, um, you know, it kind of sucks to have to get used to that, but that just seems to kind of be the way the world works these days. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll manage through that as best we can. And, and, um, you know, if, if we spray anywhere near as much fungicide next year, as people are thinking they're going to do right now, uh, that, that will be a challenge. Um, not, not just to have the product, but to get the work done as well. So we, we had a huge fungicide application season this year. Product was tight. Um, there was shortages of, of labor and logistics and there were delays. And, and, and right now, um, most people feel like they didn't spray enough fungicide this year. And, and so if that means we're going to try to do more next year, uh, that, that won't be easy to do. So uh, no, I think we got no. a lot of a lot of things to think about and get ready for um, next summer and and uh, hopefully next summer will be far different with uh, far fewer disease issues and maybe uh, maybe people will uh, end up doing less rather than more. But uh, if your plan today is to do more than you did this year, uh, thinking back to how challenging it was to get the work done this year, um, what, what's your plan to get more done next year? Yep, absolutely. Well, Lance, great conversation, great information as always. Appreciate it. Uh, Lance Tarchioni, technical agronomist with the Cal Basgro in West Central Illinois. Uh, Lance, thanks for taking the time to, to visit with us today. Anytime, Troy. Great to hear from you. Thanks. All right. Take care and, and uh, want to remind everybody to keep your eye open for all the, all the uh, equipment on the roads right now. Have a safe harvest. Um, be careful on those roads. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Illinois Agronomy Update. Thank you.